0: The scripture for today comes out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're starting in chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to reach unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having, be pre- having been pre- predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in Conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to be put to put our hope in christ might be the praise of his glory and you also were included in christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked with him with a seal of the promised holy spirit who is a, de- a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray for the sermon. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for getting us all here safely. I pray over Mike and the words that you have prepared for him. I pray these words are yours. Lord, I pray that these words touch us and stick with us. I pray that we can all learn and be moved by the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good morning. You know, I kind of uh, predicted at the uh, earlier service that this would be the third largest attendance so far this year. But in reality, <laughs> you guys really aren't missing that many folks, so yeah, us, right? Um, I, I went to a restaurant last night here in town and uh, after scooping and all that, same as what you all did, and I couldn't get a seat. And I saw seven Methodists in there. See, People better be at church today, and sure enough, they all were, and so we're glad that you're here too. Hey, uh, last week, we did a ministry fair, or ministry fair where we had all of our service ministries that uh, kind of helped the church uh, run down the rails and keep going. Um, we don't have all the booths and stuff set up, but some of you weren't able to be there, so on, on the welcome centers on, on the way out, uh, pick up the brochure. It's, it, it has a thumbnail description of the various ministries that we... Consistently and constantly need help to keep the church going and to keep the blessings flowing uh, out of here in hospitality and, and puppets and all, and all the other ways that, that we have things going, uh, you wouldn't have to necessarily fill out the pink card today, but uh, we do really want uh, to avail you the opportunity uh, to be involved in that. And now this is important. Two weeks from today, our culture is uh, celebrating the Super Bowl. We hope it's all Midwestern teams playing in it, don't we? Amen? All right. Yeah, everybody's clapping. Packers, Cheeseheads, and all you Chief fans. I get that. But, but in church, we have a super, you know, but it's soup challenge. And your challenge is to bring more cans of soup than the 815 service. Now, here's the thing. They have about a, th- about, they, they're about a third of our worship attendance, and you guys are two-thirds, so... Get to all of these by by the case because they intend to win. <laughs> so let's aim higher. Today's, um, today's sermon goes right down the sermon series we're, we, we've started last week, uh, Searching for God's Reflection. And I know I started that sermon uh, with the same line I'll probably start the next couple sermons, which is um, when we search for God's identity, when we're truly out there see, searching for God's reflection. What it starts with is if we find and know God, we will find and know who we are and we're supposed to be. That will become more clear. When we find and know God, who we're supposed to be will become more clear. So last week I talked about what is faith. Today we're gonna talk about Grace and the fact that it's free. So, first picture, take a look at this picture. I'm going to use this image several times. Uh, It was obviously taken this morning, uh, that photo of this beautiful, um, wonderful um, country home. It's got the big porch on it, a very prominent front door, and of course, a lot of expansive room in there. I, I use that, and it's, it's appropriate for us to use this because we all begin our search at home. No matter who we are, no matter who we're going to become, we begin searching for that in the homes. It might not be as palatial as this one. It might be bigger. It might have a different configuration of people than this one might have in it. But we all start our search at home. John Wesley was no different. John Wesley is the founder of uh, the Methodist movement. The 75 million of us in the world today that call ourselves part of the Methodist movement all kind of started with the spark of the Holy Spirit that was placed in John Wesley. And Wesley used this image, not that particular home, but an image of a house to explain how our identity begins to develop. So we'll use it several times. Now, let me talk about John Wesley for a moment. And those of you that are in confirmation, they know a lot because they already studied this. Remember, we made those graphic novels about John Wesley. Um, And some of you have been through my membership class. You've made the graphic novel as well. But understand this. So John Wesley, in 1725, he was already a graduate of seminary. He was already a priest in the Church of England. Now listen to the next sentence. In 1725, he began a serious pursuit of the will of God. You would have thought he might have done that sooner, right? You might have thought he'd done that sooner. He was searching in 1725, and the search was not easy. It was a hard search. Eleven years later, listen to this, he's searching. Eleven years later, in 1776, still in the midst of his search, Wesley and those in the Holy Club at Oxford decided that they should have a mission to America, the American colonies, 1736. That's, we're not quite the states for a long time. So he comes over to Savannah, Georgia and begins this ministry of preaching, seeking to teach what was then the Native American Indians, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Before he began that ministry, as he got off the boat, literally, according to John Wesley, he was met by a Moravian theologian named August Spangenberg. And Spangenberg knew for what Wesley had come and wanted to know if he was properly motivated for the mission. This guy was a hard dude. And Wesley records this, and Wesley records all of this, so it's his perspective. And by the way, it doesn't make him look so glowingly wonderful, so it's probably true. Spangenberg asked him, Do you know yourself? Do you know yourself? Do you come knowing the honest, genuine you? Do you know yourself? This question kind of caught Wesley off guard. But the Moravian wasn't going to stop there. He went on and said, have you the witness within yourself? Wesley's completely confused by this question. What story is it that you have in yourself? What bubbles out of your spirit when you're just being completely, genuinely, authentically you? But this isn't enough for the Moravian. He goes on. He says, does the spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Are you a child of God, John Wesley? This is what Spangenberg's offering. And then he says this. And this is a question we probably all need to know the answer to. Do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley records it as saying, being put back by that question. And then he said, and he records himself saying somewhat timidly, I know that he's the Savior of the world. True, said Spangenberg, but do you know him? Do you know that he saved you? Wesley replied, I hope he saved me. I hope he saved me. And then later wrote, But I fear these words were said in vain. I hope he died to save me. So many people struggle with that question. If I were even to take a quiz of this house, some of you might say, And if I said, Do you know Jesus Christ died for your sins? You might say, Well, I hope he did. Do you know that you're saved? I hope I am. We need to have certainty in this. So many of us struggle with clarity on that question. Going forward from when Wesley began this quest in 1725 to May 24th, 1738. Any of you that are Wesleyan scholars say, oh, the day above all days. This is the day of the altar's Gate experience. John Wesley wrote the most important words he ever wrote, and he wrote over 10,000 sermons. But he wrote the most important words that he ever wrote in his journal, words that record his understanding of who he is and who he's supposed to be. He says, in the evening, I went very unwilling to a society on Aldersgate Street. I'm sure there's some of us that unwillingly came to church this morning because somebody we love said, get in the car. I went very unwillingly to a society on Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Romans. Now, I don't know beyond Simon and myself, anyone in here that's read Luther's epistle preface to the epistle on the Romans. This is not a humorous novel. <laughs> it is not a story of joy and happiness. It is thick, rich theology in which Luther in almost as many words as Paul uses to write Romans, explains what you're about to read. Okay? So this meeting had some egg-headedness to it. So, of course, I wouldn't have fit in. But Wesley, unwillingly there, said, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the human heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. Now, if you've been through my membership class, or if you're in confirmation, like some of these guys have, you've had to draw a picture of Wesley getting his heart strangely warm. I love it, it's some of these great pictures. I I remember years ago, one of my students drew a picture of a little campfire. Was it you, Mario? Maybe it was you, I don't know. Some of you guys drew these. There was a campfire and above it was this heart and it was just sweating. Another person drew a, a picture of a, of a fry pan with a heart in it with the steam coming off. And another drew has drawn a stick figure because that's the best art they can do with, an, with a heart on it that's got flames of fire going off of it. You get the picture. John Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed within him in a way he had never felt before. And he said, I did, he writes, I did trust Christ I do trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me, that's a certainty, that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. There, there is this certainty that comes over Wesley, 13 years after he began his ministry, that he and Jesus Christ were at one. Everything he felt and everything he received, he knew he received freely at no cost. He was set free and there's no cost to him. We sometimes say the expression, well, only by God's grace this happens. And I will say it is only by God's grace we happen. Only by God's grace. So today, last week we talked about faith. Today we're gonna camp out in grace for a few moments. So let's look at what grace is. Let's define grace. Let's, let's have grace defined. So grace is a noun it's a description of what God's think of what God thinks. God's thinking is he chooses us, yep, just the way we are. God chooses us. Of all the choices in all the cosmos, of all the things that God had made, he chooses us. That's a noun. That's his thinking. And to accompany that, He desires us to choose him. He chooses us. His desire is that we choose him back. So grace is a noun, but grace is also a verb because it's an action that God does. Because what God does most importantly as an action in grace is he provides a substitute for us. Okay, I don't want to make it hard and I'm not going to make it long, but the reason you have a cross in front of your sanctuary is that there is a moment in real time in the history of human, of human life that God says, I am going to pick a substitute. These folks, you and me, from the very first page of the Bible, remember, we start breaking covenant with God. God desires us to be with him. We start looking for ways to be away from him. God says, I'm going to bring them home, give them the opportunity to bring it home. And so he sends his son. And when Christ goes onto the cross, never miss this fact, he is the worst of you so that you might have the best of him. He is the worst sinner in the world. He's the worst. Any sin you have, he's the worst of that. And he takes that so that you might have the best of God. That's a substitute. He takes our place. That's what that simply means. This is something God does. He puts, he puts a lamb in our place to sacrifice for our sin. He reverses our lives from dead in sin and enslaved in sin to fully recreated and set free. That's what we sang about a few moments ago. So grace is this undeserved love, the perfect love that God has for his creation. It's not deserved and it cannot be earned. You cannot deserve it and you cannot earn it. Now, John Wesley, I know I go back to this guy that lived 300 years ago because he started this whole movement that we're a part of. John Wesley knew several things and we probably know the same thing about ourselves. He knew that he'd done nothing to receive his salvation. He was, even though he was a pastor, understand this, he was more of a person than a pastor. He did nothing to deserve his salvation and he had done nothing to, assur- to earn the assurance He had done nothing to earn the certainty that he knew he was a child of God. So, if the answer is grace, we're going to dive a bit into uh, a deeper understanding of it. Now, we're going to get into the theological weeds a little bit, but I was grateful after the first service, someone came up to me and said, man, you made the hard fairly easy to understand, so stick with me. The Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. I know you're all saying, oh good, we get to hear from that finally. The Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church is our kind of structured organization, has our theological task and, our, and, and, and our, our social ministries in there. But the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church says this, while the grace of God is undivided, that means it's one, while the grace of God is undivided, it precedes salvation as prevenient grace. Now, uh, these, li- these words that you kind of need to learn a little bit to understand this. It precedes salvation, at, which means come before with prevenient grace, continues, which means the process goes on, in justifying grace and is brought to fruition or fullness in sanctifying grace. Now, let me give you the picture of this by looking at that country mansion again. John Wesley uses the image of a house to help us understand the three phases of grace. So, prevenient grace, if you look at this, you see the big porch The porch is not inside the house, right? The porch is still outside the house. So John Wesley uses the idea of prevenient grace to show us that there's this moment when we make an approach. We get onto the porch. Prevenient grace is the divine love that precedes any and all of our conscious impulses. I mean, the the grace is coming towards us before we even thought of it. Prevenient grace prompts our first wish to please God. Before we have that grace come to us, we don't even know we want to make God happy. We don't even know we want to live in concert with God. But this grace is coming at us all the time. You know, John Wesley, if, if you were to paint a picture of the doctrine of sin that he saw, if you were to look at what he saw and what he describes visually, it would be kind of like this. Take a person, man or woman, doesn't matter, put them on a boat, no oars, no sail, In tumultuous sea, hopelessly adrift. The look on their face, one of tenseness, agony, frustration, pain, struggle. And likely, if we were to paint that, there would be this caption on the painting. There is nothing he or she can do to save himself. Hopelessly adrift. And it's God that breaks through the hopelessness. It's God that comes towards people. And God is coming towards us all the time. Mario read a few moments ago this passage from Ephesians 1. Let's look at a few verses. Get this. For he chose us. This is really, really important because I'm going to unpack an important theological term here. He chose us before the creation of the world. That's why it says in Psalm 139, before you were, he was thinking about you. Before you were knit together in your mother's womb, you were precious to him. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? To be what? To be anything we want? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, look at this part of the sentence, he predestined us for adoption to sonship in Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Understand what this means. This means that pre-existing to the foundation of the world, it is God's intent to save those who choose to participate in his eternal plan. Before the creation of the world, he plans to, to keep those that want to participate with him in his eternal plan. So so don't mess up what predestined means, scripturally. Predestined means that we are created to be part of God's unfolding story. We were made to be part of God's unfolding story. It does not mean that everything's fixed and we can't do anything about it. it. It doesn't mean that everything is settled before things start. The desired outcome is settled because God has settled the outcome. He says, I want everybody to be with me forever, but it does not mean that we have to choose it. The predestination is the outcome, but we have something to do with the process. So prevenient grace is the offer of salvation, it is not sufficient alone. It's not enough for salvation. It it works to create our awareness. It makes us aware of what God is. Prevenient grace awakens us so we can get all woke to see who God is and what our need is. It helps us see who God is and what our need is. This allows us, and this is where it gets a little dicey for us, this allows us to take responsibility for our own actions. Because God has made a creation that's truly free, it's not fixed. We have to do nothing. We're not forced into anything. We're given the opportunity to take responsibility for our own actions because God's creation is truly free. Therefore, no one is inescapably trapped in their sin. No one is inescapably lost. Grace allows us the opportunity to choose for Or against God in our lives. This is prevenient grace. It gets us onto the porch of God's house. There, on the porch of God's house, we can see God working to rescue us. And this breeds hope. Because, you see, God takes the initiative. The Creator has a remedy for our disobedience. There is an antidote, you see. Repentance. Repentance is the process of awakening and responding to God. I, I know we don't like to talk about repentance because when we talk about repentance, that means we have to admit our sins, which is kind of what this is all about. God's grace saves us from our sins, but repentance is the spade work that we have to do in the human heart to get ourselves ready to receive what God gives us. You know, um, I don't know about you, but I have a couple bushes that died out. They just kind of played out. And I, you know, cut them down to the, to the nub for the winter. But when summer comes around or when spring comes around, I'm going to have to get the spade out and dig through all those you know, nasty old roots and chop it up. Some of you are gardeners. you got to chop up. you got to get your spade out, and you got to chop through everything. And that's just the getting ready. That's not the planting. That's not the finishing. It's the getting ready for it. See, when we talk about using, doing the spade work of our soul, we repent before we can believe in the gospel. We repent first, and then we can receive what Christ gives us. And in repentance, we turn from a life without Christ to embrace a way of Christ and in which salvation begins. See, our search for God is only possible because God's already looking for us. God's already searching for us. So I want you to tell your friends this. See, see don't miss this. I know this is a little bit of a theological piece, but we need to hear it sometimes, See, God never stops looking for us, regardless of what we do. You know, you you hear about these planes crashing out in the ocean and stuff like that, and you'll see the Coast Guard say, well, we've set a search area of 240 square miles. We need to know where the human soul is taken. There is no area outside God's search area. It is not limited to what we might see. There is no farness away you can get from God that he can't find you. Many of your people believe they're outside of God's search area. They say, oh, I'm too far gone. You've heard that said. I know you have. And you need to say, hey, man, you can't get outside of God's search area. He's looking for you right now. He's in process of trying to find you. Come home. Take a look at this picture. When, when we talk about prevenient grace, that puts us on the porch. That puts us up close to where the action is of God. It puts us in a place where we can start to receive. Now, the next phase, as you saw from the book of Discipline, is called justifying grace. And justifying grace is just like the door that's in the center of that picture. A door is just a wall unless you open it, right? Justifying grace is the door into the house of God's salvation? Look at what it says in 1 John chapter one, verse nine. This is a cause and effect. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Camp out there for a minute. It's a if, if we, he will, and look how much he gives us, we simply have to open our heart and tell the truth. He will give us a brand new life for that. See, justification is the great work that God does in renewing our fallen nature. God begins within us something that we cannot begin or cannot do for ourselves. You know, um, like all you, I have, well, I actually have various and sundry computers like you. And the program I use probably the most is, is Word or some version of that. If you're an Apple person, you have the same kind of program. But you can set your margins in certain ways and justify the terms. But when there's that one little icon that has both the, all the words ending at the same place on both margins, that's called the justified icon. That justifies the fact that everything's equal on the side. That resets your whole document. It lines everything up perfectly perfectly. This is what justifying grace does. It lines us up with God's work. It lines us up perfectly with God's intentions. If, if you were listening to what Mario said and read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, you heard him read, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. We are, we are justified, God's reaching to the sinner who is repentant and accepting with an accepting and pardoning love. So that means the forgiveness of sins leads to new life. And given new lives, our lives begin to reflect God's identity. Let's take a look at this picture again. If prevenient grace gets you on the porch, and justifying grace gets you to open the door, the great mansion of God and see the house of God's salvation, then sanctifying grace is the rooms and the expansive dwelling place of God's presence. Sanctifying grace is shown to us in Ephesians chapter 1, which is why we picked this passage for today. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything is worked out in the conformity of God's will in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of salvation. So sanctifying grace means being fully adopted into God's family to a richness and depth that you know with all certainty you have been rescued. You know, I watch YouTube videos sometimes at night. And the other night, I was watching one. It was really cool. It was this dad, clearly a stepdad, clearly a blended family. And this little girl was looking to be eleven or twelve. And uh, there was this big package for him. It was his birthday. Big package, and he's opened all the presents. And he opens this present, and it's he pulls out this paper and he starts reading it. And I mean. He just floods the screen with tears. I mean, he's like shaking in his body. And the little girl has just got this bright glow. And finally, he choked out, it's your adoption papers. You see, the father was so excited to bring that little girl into his life that he couldn't be more overjoyed. This is like a big thing. a couple of years ago, and they were at the first service. A couple of years ago, I was, I was performing a wedding at, at downtown in the old church. And getting kids married is really the thing, right? But there was a special highlight in this wedding because on the Friday of the wedding rehearsal, the dad had signed the adoption papers that said he would adopt the little girl that, whose mother he was marrying. She had no idea. She had no idea. You can probably look at this. It's probably on Facebook or YouTube or somewhere. But I remember after they were married, I said, now Lucy, come here. And we read the adoption decree. Man, I started leaking big time. Everybody in that place was leaking big time because how precious is it for that little girl to know with certainty I have a family. I have a mom and I have a dad. And previously she'd only had half of that. See, we have an awful lot of life, but when we're certain, when we're certain of the depth of love that's around us in Jesus Christ, we have a full life. We have this certainty. See, there's a huge difference between knowing of a Savior and knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Being adopted into God's family allows you to identify with God, and you can be certain. You can certain that you ha- be certain that you have a Savior, you, and you specifically you. Samuel Wesley died in 1736. As John was going across to America, before he met this Moravian theology, theologian that I told you about at the beginning of the talk. In Samuel Wesley's dying words to his son, who he knew had been an educated man, who he knew is a priest in the Church of England, who he knew was in full pursuit of God's will, his dying words, what you see on the, on the, script, on the, on the screens are, to his son, son, the inward witness, that is proof the strongest proof of Christianity. I know who I am because I know who God is. That's the strongest witness you can have. If you have that way down embedded in your spirit that you know who you are because you, you, you know who God is, this is not an intellectual exercise. This is not some sort of reasoned out theological talk. It is a full personhood agreement. And sanctifying grace is the full knowledge... Of your salvation, so, take a look at that house one more time, and then we 'll get you to the offering plates. Provenient grace is that first movement, that first inkling that that God is searching for you that there 's this awareness that comes over you and says, "I have to get to God it it puts you on the porch the second. Peace then is the justifying grace that, that makes you reach out and turn the door handle and say, I know something awesome is here inside the household of God. And sanctifying grace is when you walk in that door and you see the expansive dwelling place of God's presence. And it's all absolutely free to you. And it's not cheap because it costs Jesus Christ but it's free to you. And that's all I came by to tell you. You want to search for God's identity? Understand first what he's done for you, that he offers you this grace that you don't deserve and that you can't earn, but he wants you to have it. It's the destiny he picked for you. You simply need to pick it back. God, we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you that you've given us a future that you want to write with us and for us. We thank you that that future begins from the moment we receive you until your forever. We praise you and honor you, and we ask, Lord, that we might be faithful and fruitful in it. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, friends, we love here at Marion Methodist giving our gifts. Um, if you're new among us, please don't feel like this is oppressive because we don't expect, unless you've been here three or four times, that you need to participate in this. But we do want to give things that represent us to God. We're not hesitant to say that, that, that we need to give things that, that, that um, are a great gesture of the depth and richness of our heart and how much how thankful we are for God. So every week we pass these offering baskets today. I'd ask that you throw your prayers to, for the, for the uh, pilgrims to take in there too. And I'm going to ask uh, Simon and our ushers to lead us through a time of offering.